0: Good morning, everyone. Um, So today is a second Sunday of Advent where we light the candle of joy. Our reflection this morning takes the form of a catechism, a question-and-answer format used by the church for centuries to teach the foundations of the faith. Ellery, the things we get for Christmas will not last as long as the things we get from Christmas. We will finish our Christmas treats get bored with our Christmas toys, and grow out of our Christmas clothes. But the things we get from Christ this Christmas, and always hope, joy, love, and peace, will go with us all our life. So Ellery, why do we light the Advent candles?
1: We light the Advent candles to commemorate that Jesus, the light of the world, came as a baby to offer us his special place in the family of God.
0: What is our response to the light?
1: We pause and wonder and watch. We prepare our hearts in the season of Advent to reflect the illuminating light of Jesus Christ to those around us. What is the meaning of the first candle? The first Advent candle is the candle of hope. Jesus is our hope. He died on the cross to save us and give us everlasting life. The light of this hope shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. We light this candle now for hope. What is the meaning of the second candle, the candle we add today? The second candle is the candle of joy. The miracle of Christmas is that even though there is so much sadness in the world, the joy of Christ deep within us can help us reach out to the sad, the suffering, and the lonely. We light this candle for joy. And now, sweetie, (laughs) let's pray together. (laughs) Dear Dear God, thank thank you you that that through through you we we can always find find joy. joy. Help Help us to bring joy to our world by by loving others the way you taught us. Amen.
0: Thank you, Carrie and Ellery. That was beautiful. Um, Our teaching text um, for today is taken from 1 John, chapter 1, and uh, verses 1 to 7. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all from all sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Carrie and Ellery. For handling the pyrotechnics for us. Very, very challenging. There's a lot of fire involved in Advent. So good to see all of you. So good to, to be here. Just hearing your voices sing out um, was, yeah, so already been a, be- a beautiful morning. All right, this might be controversial, but I had a friend in college who had a theory um, that Tuesday nights were better than Friday nights. All right, bow your heads. That's the sermon. Um, He said, he said, Tuesday night, you're not expecting much. Um, So if something great happens or, or fun plans come up, then that's 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 fantastic. It's a surprise. He said, Friday night is too much pressure. You have to have something good for Friday night. So even if Friday night is good, well, it's supposed to be good. But if Friday night is bad, it's really bad because it's supposed to be good. This was, this was his theory. You can debate it at brunch today. Um, also, quick note, we have a Christmas party on Tuesday this week. 8 p.m., hometown barbecue, karaoke, dancing, extravaganza, magical. But I, I, find, I think about my friend's theory. Um, I, I won't give his name in case it's too controversial, but the, the Christmas season is a little bit about this Tuesday night, Friday night vibe, um, this is a little bit the shadow side of Christmas for us. It's like a time where you're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be full of wonder. You're supposed to be lighting candles of joy. But I think many of us can say from experience that can come with a lot of pressure. We know, of course, this can be a very difficult time of year for many of us. And sometimes that pain is accentuated by how much you're supposed to be loving it so we've got you know we've got the music and, and the trees and the plans and the savings and the lists and 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 it's good movie season but we also have Omicron now thank you and we we still have a, a broken society and and stress and this is a time where grief comes up for us as as loved ones who, who are not sharing the season with us um And we have mental health challenges that seem to be accentuated in this time of year and tension in family relationships. And so we light the candle of joy and then we go home to our Tuesday experiences. And if you feel anxious or you feel depressed and you're hearing all day, every day that it's the most wonderful time of year, that can be extra difficult. I remember this feeling, I feel like... uh, Carrie and Ellery got, got at this around the, the, the Christmas as a kid. I, re, I remember this feeling, even as a kid, even if I couldn't you know, fully articulate it, you know, it was late on Christmas Day or the next morning, there had been such a buildup and, and I would just feel like, okay, now it's over. And these new rollerblades are incredible, but I'm not sure my life is complete in the way I thought it was going to be. So I have to admit, <laughs> a mixture of suspicion When I hear something like, we write this to make our joy complete, is that just a little bit more of the Christmas pageantry, kind of like, you know, over church Christmas vibe that that maybe we've learned to be suspicious about? We've learned to sort of let our disappointment uh, thread through. I, I, I wonder if something like that is actually possible, and maybe you do as well. Joy that is complete. I will say, I do hope something like that is possible. Um, I, I would like something more than uh, you know a world weary cynicism that has learned to to never let my expectations rise very high, or, or that kind of plans to be let down because hey, like we get let down in the world. It's a, it's a difficult place. I, I want to have gratitude. I think that's something like a, a powerful tool in this world for opening up the possibility of joy. I, I want to have gratitude. I, I, I want to know deep, rich love. I want to know. I want to have a life of relationships. Like, I, I, I want to mean these things that we say that can become stereotypes. I want to have joy and enthusiasm, even if our world sort of mocks at times uh, that, that reality. Uh, we become so sophisticated that we're never really joyful or we're never really enthusiastic about it. But we are the ones who lose in that instance. Why not be joyful? What are we doing? Yeah. So I want to ask on this second Sunday of Advent, hey, we've lit the candle of joy. We're already here. We might as well think about what would it look like to move towards a complete joy? What is John, really, what is John talking about? This, this... uh, How does joy work for this grandfather of the faith? This is one of the last letters written in the New Testament. This beloved disciple John has seen his friends uh, in the movement of Jesus pass away. He's also seen this thing grow up into something that maybe they never would have imagined. What does joy look like for this grandfather of the faith? How could it possibly work for us? I, I really do love Advent, but I love it in part because it's not Christmas yet, this is one of the challenges in, um, in, in the American church with Advent is that Advent is about longing and waiting and expectation. And then we get to Christmas and we don't do as well the Christmas tide thing. Christmas is supposed to be a celebration that goes for weeks and weeks and we're sort of like the 26th. We're like, let's get the tree down, let's pack up. We're thinking New Year's now. And so we miss the, like the celebration of arrival that's supposed to take place. But I love Advent because it's not Christmas yet. It's a time to name longings. That's what Advent is about as as a season across the the historical church, (laughs) across the ages. It's a time for hopes that have not yet been realized. It's a time for the honest questions that that need to be asked in a world that needs healing, that needs repair. It's a time to bring the real suspicion (laughs) of your heart that maybe things are never gonna get where they're meant to go. So Advent's not about a marketing scheme that hey, all of your dreams are available and it's 40% off if you buy today. Advent says bring your honest heart, bring your honest hope into the light of God's promise for what has come in the past, that's part of what Advent is, and what's coming in the future, and then let's see what happens. So we have this old grandfather of the church, John. He's, he's kind of the poet apostle. His gospel account is different than the other three in some particular ways. And he has some things to say to us about what makes up real and substantial joy, a type of joy that can endure loss, that can endure banishment. He experienced this. That can endure seeing friends die and loved ones pass away and loneliness and hope, but also, fee, you know, promise, So I want to see three of these things today that are are in this introduction to this letter that he he writes, towards a complete joy. What on earth would that look like? I think it at least would involve embodiment, belonging, and wholeness. That's where we're headed this morning, Uh, belonging. Uh, embodiment and and wholeness. And the first part I want to look at is is embodiment uh, as we move towards a complete joy. So John seems to be talking in the beginning of his gospel account and the beginning of this letter about this reality of an eternal life that was present before that has been embodied. The word became flesh and dwell among us. That's how his gospel begins. And it's very different than uh, the possibility of being saved uh, or rescued or repaired, our world being healed by a theory or idea idea alone, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father has appeared to us, something you can touch, feel, talk to, listen to something from way back in the beginning, a type of life that predates anything we have known, something that was present before the beginning has shown up in history. And it's not just a theory or an idea. God has put on flesh, has moved on to the block. That's what Christians mean when they talk about incarnation. The Christian insistence in incarnation is that God has insisted on embodiment. (laughs) He's not saving the world through mere ideas, um, but through a person, (laughs) a person in relationship. And I I know you've heard this type of thing before, but I just want to invite you to meditate on it for a moment with me. Think about this. God said, I look at the world. I see that it's broken. I see that it needs healing. I see that it needs repair. I see that it needs salvation. What What will I do to bring that? It's not... It's not a book, it's not a set of principles, it's not a pathway for people to follow, it is a person. It is an embodied reality of a type of life coming in to the world. And this seems to be in particular important for uh, the church as it's growing up, as it's it's beginning to fill the the Roman Empire, it's moving into its second generation. You have this eyewitness grandfather of the church saying, we have to make sure that you don't miss the reality of this embodiment, the reality of the physicality of the kingdom coming in the person of Jesus. I'm not going to get into all this, but some of the background to this letter even being written was this uh, sort of heresy of Gnosticism that was growing up around the church, basically, that people began to take the the, uh, cultural power and influence that Christianity had and and sort of section it off, as as often happens, into power groups and say, basically, actually, to receive the the salvation Christianity offers, you have to have a special type of knowledge, and so Gnosticism basically was this salvation by special knowledge. And, and you had to be in a particular group, which now we are actually curating, in order to have this special knowledge. So a very human way of operating to, 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 to divide was coming into the church. And Grandfather John, eyewitness of Jesus' life, says, no, 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 no. We're not doing the platonic dualism of of body, bad, spirit, good. You can be saved by ideas and theory. No, we're talking about an embodied reality of the kingdom of God that you can hug, that you can share a meal with, that can walk alongside you even when your feet are tired. John says, that which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. One of the Advent hopes that we can't miss is that God is coming to be embodied in our midst, has come in the birth of Christ in the gospels and is coming to be embodied in our midst again. Heard, seen, looked at, touched. One quick note, uh, seen and then looked at seem very similar, right? Why why is that in there twice? I think it's to say like we we glanced at him but more than that we gazed at him. We meditate we 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 had a conversation. We we were together. John's gospel The same guy who wrote this famously has seven I am statements that are often taken out and studied about this is who Jesus is. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. And we study these I am statements to remember the divinity of this person Jesus as he's walking around proclaiming the kingdom and saying get up off your mat and walk and have enough food and you're welcomed in as well and you're forgiven. And we need to remember this man Jesus is also God. But we also need to remember this man Jesus who is God is also a person. So alongside John's seven I am statements, I wanna give you seven uh, five senses moments from John's Gospel. Because this this John, who who is a grandfather of the church, is saying, I'm talking about someone I walked with. And I just wanna give you a couple of quick moments of that from his life. The first is when John meets Jesus, he's with his older brother and his father Zebedee, and it's early in the morning, and they're preparing their nets for a day of work in their industry, which was fishing. So you just, you've been there before. Have you ever worked and had to be there early? You show up. Have you ever worked with your family, right? There's all kinds of things going on that are right outside the purview of the text, but we can imagine the physicality of this moment. It's morning. You're you're presumably on the shore by the sand. You can feel, what does that feel like under your feet? What does that sound like, the water lapping? Maybe you're bone tired this has been a, a, a long week. Your hands are, are, are sore in the morning. You're working with the nets. You also have the dynamic of your older brother is here and your father is here. And this is the family business, but you're a long way from being in control. You're just being told essentially what to do. And all of a sudden, this man Jesus comes. And something so profound happens that James and his, 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 his little brother John leave and go with Jesus. They leave their father Zebedee. This was a powerful moment. This would be um, really culturally scandalous to, to, to walk away from their, their father in this moment. So that's number one. <laughs> Number two is in John 4, there's this account where the disciples are walking from Jerusalem back to their home area in Galilee, and they choose specifically to pass through this controversial area in Samaria, and we have a moment where Jesus is actually bone-tired and sits down at this well, and the disciples go away to get Jesus some lunch, and whatever happens when Jesus is there with this woman at the well, they come back to give him the lunch, and he doesn't take it, and I, I... I love the story of the woman at the well. It's this restoration, this salvation moment, but I'm always fascinated by the fact that Jesus was bone tired and super hungry and sent them to get food and they come back and he's like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm like, what do we do with this sandwich? Think, think about this reality. John had seen Jesus bone tired, exhausted. Think of his own feet. You ever been hangry? You ever try to get lunch with 11 other people? Where are we gonna go? It's it's a nightmare. His, His legs are exhausted, his feet are tired, they finally get the food, they finally agree, and they walk back, and then Jesus turns it down. Like, what on earth? He knew what it was to be with Jesus in an embodied reality, the physicality of the kingdom of God. Two chapters later, John 6, abandoned Jesus. Now, this happens right after the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus seems to say, I want everyone that's here to have enough to eat. He also seems to be doing something really powerful to recreate the ministry of Moses to feed the people. There's 12 baskets collected. There's a lot of symbolism here in the feeding of the 5,000. But right after that, these disciples who are, um, who've been walking with him are now like beginning to see, oh, the movement is swelling. More and more disciples are coming. They're following. And we got in on the ground floor. Here we are, close to Jesus, friends with Jesus. And then they see in John 6, Christ begins to lay out the actual cost of following him. And he he talks about communion, this bizarre, you're going to eat my body and drink my blood. And people are like, no thanks, I'm out. And they see Jesus get rejected. They see Jesus get abandoned. Jesus actually turns to him and think about not just the words that he says, but the look in his eye and the tone of his voice. When he says, do you want to go as well? It's such a human moment. John witnessed Jesus, who had called him, who had done the miracles, who had proclaimed the kingdom, look at him and say, do you want to go as well? The high moments, the low moments. He was there at the transfiguration. He was in the close circle of Jesus' friends. He got, it says in Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as, as, as the light. We sometimes just think about this in theological terms. Put yourself there physically. The shock of it, the brightness of the light, The the terror mixed with the wonder. The what on earth are we supposed to do now? Why are we even here? What is going on? Who are these people? What are these voices? When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, and and then he gave our series title. Don't be afraid. (laughs) Do not be afraid. Can you imagine? I want you to think about breathing in the dirt as your face is on the ground, the physicality of this moment, the brightness of the light, the terror, the wonder, the peace that would flood you as Jesus touched you and said, do not be afraid. How about the Last Supper? In the beginning of John's Gospel account, he says, no one knows what God is like. (laughs) But Jesus, the Word made flesh, has come and shown us what God is like. And he specifically uses this interesting word. He says, the one who was in the bosom of the Father has come to us. And if you want to know someone who could tell you what someone else is like, he's saying, this Jesus, the Son, is in the, was in the bosom of the Father. He could lay his head on the Father's chest. And then very, by the end of the Gospel... We have John, this beloved disciple, this little brother from the fishing story in the beginning, laying his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. What what an, an an incredible moment. Think about the tension of that night. Think about his concern for his friend. Think about this familiarity of sharing Passover, a meal you had shared your entire life. But there are some significant changes going on. Jesus is offering you this cup in this dramatic way. Will you take a new covenant? What did it taste like to eat that bread, to drink that cup? His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Someone's going to betray Jesus. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter, you just think about these dynamics, the physicality. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? You'd be close enough to Jesus to smell his breath. What was that like? No Altoids? Heavenly breath. I don't know, maybe not. They're eating. (laughs) Okay, I'll stop. Two more. The cross. He's standing there with Mary, watching Jesus die. We often think about the theology of these moments. I want you just for a moment to think about the physicality standing there. Maybe for the first time feeling your body probably in shock. The wind whipping across the top of the hill. Trying to take in the scene. Trying to both comfort and needing comfort. And having Jesus say, behold your mother. I want you to take care of my family. Like physicality of the kingdom. And then finally, the last one, on the beach after the resurrection, we often focus on Peter in this moment because he's being restored after his denial. But John is there as well, and Peter's walking with his close friend. They've seen all these things. Jesus is healing, feeding of the 5,000, the transfiguration, the the I don't want any lunch moment, all of it. They've been together, and they're walking together. And and, and Jesus and Peter are talking, and and, and Jesus tells Peter, listen, you're not going to like how you die. And Peter is like, what about him? Think about that moment, right? The almost exact same scene as when he was first called the morning, the sand, the family. Many religions of that day and of our day try to locate the spiritual life primarily in the realm of ideas or the heavens or some ethereal place that cannot be touched. But the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus says that God cares deeply about the physical world. God cares deeply about your body, about the redemption and repair of the neighborhood. God's redemption includes bodies. That's a really important theological statement that has skin on it. God cares about black bodies and brown bodies and white bodies and unborn bodies and and bodies of women who need affordable health care. And we live in this space where our world is giving us these impossible choices with incredibly high rhetorical stakes and basically tearing apart our our, our very hearts and saying, "You, you can't care about both of these things. And yet the, the Advent story tells us that there's a baby six months in the womb who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Hard just to say feed us and ignore that reality. Here is an image of God bearing, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet also you have women who are on the outside of power who are dealing with the reality of poverty, who, who would have seriously been in need of care, getting attention and, from heaven, <laughs> And our world says, you have to pick which one of those you want to care about. No way. No way. We'll be caring about both, thank you very much. Moving towards the complete joy offered in Jesus is moving toward an integrated life. An integrated life that respects the full life God has given us and that God is offering us. This is a physical, material, spiritual kingdom. That which was from the Father has appeared to us, has walked with us, has eaten with us, has spoken with us, has breathed close enough that we could smell his breath with us. An actual life in a real world in need of redemption. I love how... uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, maybe one of the most learned people in the world on this subject summarizes this. God has kept the age to come under wraps, as it were, waiting to reveal it at the right time. But the secret at the heart of the early Christian movement was that the age to come had already been revealed. The future had burst into the present, even though the present time wasn't ready for it. The word for that future was life life as it was meant to be, life in its full, vibrant meaning, a life which death tried to corrupt, thwart, and kill, but a life which had overcome death itself and was now on offer to anyone, anyone who wanted to come and take it. Life itself, had come, uh, life itself had come to life, had taken the form of a human being, come into the present form of God's future, coming to display God's coming age, and the name of that life in person is, of course, Jesus. The physical embodiment of our redemption. That's the first part of moving towards a complete joy is knowing that our bodies matter in the kingdom of God. And maybe you're like, all right, I'm on on board with that. I'm okay with that. I think it would be incredible if if John said, look, I, I... I saw all of this stuff in the flesh. This is kind of what I would expect. I saw all this stuff in the flesh. All those events that we just went through, those that happened to me. So if you want to experience what this Jesus is like, you come to me and I'll I'll show you, I'll share, I'll share with you. But that's not what he does. He says you can have your own experience with this Jesus. You can have your own embodied experience with this Jesus, even though he's not walking around in his 33-year physical body that we saw on earth. You can still have a physical experience a a, a, a salvation that matters for your body in this world. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So he's saying, what I have seen, what I have heard, I'm proclaiming to you so that you can have fellowship. And the word that he uses here is a word that's too rich to translate. (laughs) But we're gonna use the word belonging to, 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 summa, to summarize it today. That the, the, the eternal life has been embodied among us and that eternal life is extending in fellowship to us that you can be embraced and come into this. It's sort of, right, if, if the embodiment cuts against our sort of theory only, idea only, ideas of, of, of what's gonna heal and save and rescue the world, this cuts against Self-sufficiency. That you are invited into an extending fellowship, an extending belonging. You are invited to a place called home. And that home gets its contours from relationship with God and with the people you see around you and with your neighbor and even with your enemy. What makes heaven heaven? All right, this is a classic kid debate. Rollers, roller coasters higher than you've ever possibly seen. The ability to play dodgeball 24-7. Like, all the feasts. What makes heaven heaven? It's fellowship. It's koinonia. It's this word of home. It's this word of belonging. It's this word of relationship. What makes heaven on earth This fellowship, this koinonia, this belonging, this home, this relationship. Koinonia is a word like many others. Um, This is the, the Greek word that's translated here, fellowship. It's a word like many others that Christians took and they're basically like, the language we're currently using doesn't quite fit the experience we're trying to talk about. So we're gonna stretch this word further than it's ever gone and have it encapsulate this new experience that we're experiencing where the very spirit of God fills our physical bodies. We're having fellowship with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we're brought into this relationship with Trinity, and that informs how we love and care for and forgive and are generous towards one another. Koinonia, fellowship. We say at Trinity Grace a lot, the kingdom of God moves along relational lines. It's important because... When God said, I'm going to heal and rescue the world, he didn't say, every generation, I'm going to iron man around the world and land in each city and proclaim the kingdom and everyone's going to come. and They're going to hear directly from me. He said, no, you're going to go. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm giving you a ministry of reconciliation. It's as if I was making my appeal to your neighbor through you. The kingdom moves along relational lines. Never was this more important than this era of Christianity. This was an era where where grandfather John is writing this letter when Christianity couldn't move um, through, through publication, right? The New Testament wasn't finished yet. I, it wasn't in circulation. I love stories, right? Nicky Gumble, who, who start, started Alpha, which we run, and he talks about like, he was a, an antagonistic atheist at college. He loved to argue people out of their faith. And then eventually he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna read the New Testament so I have some ammunition. And he starts reading the gospels and by the end he realizes actually this person Jesus is coming through the pages and he experiences life and salvation. It's a powerful story. Yeah, I've always you hear these stories of like I was coaxed out of my mind in this hotel and I picked up the Gideon's Bible because I needed something and God spoke to me through this word. But this is a time in history where that wasn't possible. No Gideon's Bibles were in hotels at this point. So how did the kingdom move? Along relational lines, this fellowship, this koinonia, this belonging, this extending sense of home was the way the church was birthed and built. And historically, even if you're like, I want nothing to do with Jesus and his claims, I want nothing to do with his followers, one thing you can't argue with is the historical reality that this small Jewish sect of people that were untrained, that were 12 and then were 120, changed the face of the known world. How? Historically, un, un, you unimpeachable facts. The world was changed by this group. How? This extending sense of koinonia. They're saying God is actually coming to fill our physical lives and is making a home amongst us with one another, and that reality did begin to change the world. They didn't have Bibles to, to send around to people, they were the embodiment of this kingdom in the midst. I'm going to give you Tom Wright one more time. He's just good. This deep sharing of inner reality, this fellowship, think about this, church, between Father and Son, has been extended. This fellowship between what is true about Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is being extended to you, church, it extends to all those who, come, who came to know, love and trust Jesus while he was alive, while he was, so to speak, on display as God's public unveiling of the coming life, and that is available to you. Our Advent hope that makes possible a complete joy is this opening of a relational possibility with God, that you can come to God and know you're coming home, that you can come to one another and because the Spirit of God fills you, know you're coming home. I don't mean to call, call them out, but I'm, I'm looking at Patricia and Gareth who run Roots um, Cafe. And to me, it's one of the places in our neighborhood that is an outpost of the kingdom of God. And people come in there and they don't even know exactly what to call it, but it's like coming home. <laughs> because there's a fella there's a koinonia around the place and you come into it and it's like a sense of home even if you don't know anybody's name there and probably not long before someone's going to know your name and remember it it's a powerful little shining outpost of what the kingdom of god can look like in a coffee shop Koinonia. the opposite of it is so is so Agonizing. I've been watching the Beatles documentary. It's like six hours of like, you know, footage, and, and you decide if you wanna watch it. But as a fan, I've been, I've been loving it. And there's this moment in the second episode, I'm spoiling nothing for you. I hate things being spoiled. It's a massive rule in our house. You will get grounded for spoiling stories in our home. But there's a, there's a, a moment where you see Paul, uh, you know, um, John and Paul are just like riffing with one another. And You know, these guys have been writing songs together for like, you know, several decades. Like their 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 connection is so obvious. And you see George, and and it's like this little brother vibe, right? I think about him standing there with, or John sitting there with his brother James and Zebedee, you know, with the fishing nets. And here's George, and they just keep zooming in on his face as they're talking about, "No, you play this part. No, you play this part. Ah, joke, joke, joke. Laugh, laugh, laugh. Hilarious, hilarious." And 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 George is sitting there, this sensitive soul, and you just. You see him feeling on the outside. You see him feeling on the outside, and you just see him come to the place where he says basically, like, enough is enough. I don't feel like I have home here. I don't feel like I have something to contribute here. I don't feel like I belong here in the way that my soul is crying out for. We need this on the deepest level, this sense of belonging, the sense where I, I, I have a place to call home, I have a place to contribute, I have a place where I can be known, where someone is looking into my eyes, where someone is hearing my story, where someone is sharing a breakfast burrito with me. God is saying this morning, I really believe not just as these as ideas, but I believe God wants to do particular ministry around these things to us as a church this morning. That some of you need to experience that God cares about your body. <laughs> cares about what's going on in your body, your anxiety or, 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 or your, your aches and pains or this, uh, you know, this depression you've been wrestling with or, 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 or that he cares about your, your embodied life. And that some of you, God wants to say to you, come home. I'm inviting you to come home. That <laughs> you can have home in my family, my spirit filling you, my, my, my church becoming your family. The last thing that we're gonna mention as we move towards this complete joy, whatever John happens to be talking about is wholeness. And this is different than our world's tendency to compartmentalize. Basically, we'll have, this is a sacred activity and this is a regular activity and these things live divided. But basically, um, what we see in the person of Jesus and what we see John talking about is there's a wholeness, there's an integrity, there's a purity. And sometimes, I, 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 like if I say the word purity, I know a bunch of negative connotations may come up in your mind. But what I'm talking about is like a pure life, an integrity, it's a life, a whole life. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. God's inviting you to Embodiment. <laughs> God's inviting you home to belonging, and God's inviting you to wholeness, to an integrity that is thorough in your life. That, to me, this is held together by two things that show up in this passage. The combination of no hiding and no condemnation. Because both of those things together are a powerful force in the world of belonging and welcome and wholeness and integrity and purity it's one thing right if if you if if you say you know like." Uh, g- g- there's gonna be no condemnation, right? And so it doesn't matter how you've been living whatsoever. And so you know this, this can be kept a secret. Or you say, we're gonna to be totally vulnerable and open with one another, but we're also gonna evaluate and judge the power of there's no hiding and there's no condemnation in Christ. It's a powerful thing that you can be completely, fully, utterly known all the way to the bottom, the very worst things about you, the very best things about you. Your darkest secret and your most you know, trembling hope of your soul, both of those things can be known. Known in a true and deep way. And know that there's no condemnation. What Christ has done on the cross is enough. God's life is not a life of compartmentalism. God's holiness is connected to wholeness, integrity, pure life. And the invitation to us is similar. He's saying, church, let's come out from hiding. (laughs) Let's bring our whole real life before God and let's bend the grace that we receive from God to one another so that we welcome one another with all of our real life revealed. And then there's no condemnation. We have fellowship with one another. And we have a life-sharing, belonging, home relationship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So we bring our hearts fully before God. And we know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is moving us towards the reality of no separation. Romans 8 talks about this. Basically this hymn of security in the gospel that nothing can separate us from God's love and that is absolutely true but we're also longing for the day and this is what Advent is about, longing for the day when there's no separation in our actual physical experience either that one day we're going to know God as we are known. We're moving towards no separation and that is how we can say we are moving towards complete joy. The Advent story, the Advent moment in our year, is about placing ourselves with Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon and Anna and all who are longing for healing and redemption and saying, when, God, will you come? And then God shows up and God comes into the world in strength, actually in the weakness of an infant. In the most upside-down way possible, God comes and embodies the kingdom, the reality of salvation in our world. And then Advent is also saying, look around at our world. Look at the brokenness. Look at what's being done to our bodies. Look at the injustice. Look at, we're longing for the kingdom to come and we're not seeing it. We need, come Lord Jesus is also our Advent hope. We're, We're longing for that moment of no separation, longing for that moment of complete joy. And here's what it looks like. A picture from the end. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. A real place. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Body. your neighbor your neighborhood matters in the kingdom of God we're not just in the idea space belonging you have a home some of you need to come to that home today even and know that you the embrace of God and God's family is available to you and wholeness no hiding let's bring our real hearts before God but also no condemnation in Christ the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin when Jesus was on the Christ he cried out to tell us that it is finished it is accomplished. It is done. The way home is opened. The way of belonging is open. The way of wholeness is open. The way of embodiment is open. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray you would minister to us by your Spirit that our body, our neighbors, our neighborhoods matter, God, that you would give us a sense of belonging, I pray for you to do works of integrity, purity, wholeness in this place, God. May we offer you our real hearts, no hiding. And may we experience gospel acceptance, gospel life, gospel forgiveness and union in Jesus. God, I thank you for this season. I just want to pray, God, for those who are aching on the inside right now. That you, administer your comfort, that you would minister your comfort, that you would give peace in this place that is actually beyond understanding, that we could experience your embrace. Lord, as we were praying before the service, God, the word restoration was prayed, God, that there would be a sense of restoring this morning, things that have been lost. Now will you minister to us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.